Well, I've had a series going for the last, uh, man, this is, this is a- actually week number eight this week, and uh, been addressing issues that we face as Christians in America, been addressing compromises that um, uh, have kept the church in America to some degree asleep while our nation's going into a moral free fall. How many know what I'm talking about? So, you know, I know it's been challenging some of the things I've shared week after week after week, but we need to hear some of these things because you know what? The person who has the answer lives inside of you. And you know what? Every one of us, God's called us to be a lighthouse around us to the people who are just looking for answers to the questions that arise. Yes or no? June the 2nd, I talked about... uh, um, the unusual stirring I sensed uh, as I read the book of Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, when uh, Israel was going through their challenges, uh, walking in uh, idolatry, and then God saying, look, you need to change your ways or, or, or judgment's going to come. And the parallel in perhaps our nation today, our world today, June 30th, I talked about the dark night of the soul and sometimes how we feel in between Uh, spiritually in between what God has done and something fresh He's going to do. So if you weren't there, all of that is online. Grab it. July 7th, I talked about the challenges we face as Americans, and sometimes it seems as though we are asleep in Zion, uh, which God mentioned to His uh, people in Israel as they were involved in idolatry, and nobody was saying anything about it. How many know we in the church need to address the issues in our culture and if we don't address the issues in our culture, are we, are we being the salt and light that Jesus called us to be? Yes or no? So July 14th, uh, uh, I talked about 21 ways that we as Americans are compromising our convictions and the convictions that made our nation great. Um, uh, July 21st, I talked about what we believe about God's character, that God is love, and because God loves us, we're all going to heaven, but God is not just love. How many know He's holy? So we talked about that for just a little bit. July 28th, I talked about uh, uh, purity being a shield that will keep us from the onslaughts of the enemy as we go into a very challenging period of time just before Jesus comes back. Then the last two Sundays have been a little bit challenging. Are you really walking with God? We talked about the problem of sinfulness and it hardly being mentioned today. Everything's got to be a positive thing or, or people won't come to hear. We talked about that August 4th, August 11th. We talked about this last week, true and false believers. So these are challenging messages, and it gets really quiet when you talk about that kind of stuff. Today, I'm changing gears a little bit. We've talked about the issues. How about let's talk about the solutions? And there is a solution to all of this, and... Um, So what I want to talk about today is a a solution to the problems in our country, but then also it's a a solution to personal challenges you may face. And the truth is, if you want to make some changes in your life, if you listen to what I've got to say today, regardless of what kinds of changes you you need to make, this, what I'm talking about today, can bring huge change. How many hear me? Romans 2, 4 says this, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So it's the goodness of God that leads us to a step out from what we've been doing into something fresh, and that goodness of God leads us to this thing called repentance. Everybody say repentance. People think that repentance is a negative thing. The truth is it's a positive thing. Now, I've been a believer this year, next month, 43 years, 
and I have hardly heard any messages on, on repentance. Now, I've read about them because I search it out and I search subject. I've been to three Bible schools, so I've studied the subject. But as far as hearing pastors and churches talking about repentance, how many know you don't hear about it a whole lot today? But, but when you, we, when I hopefully, by God's grace, when I get done today, you're going to understand that repentance is something that opens a door in your life for transformation. How many have ever felt the need to change some area of your life? You may be going through a season and there's a lot of stress and you're just eating Twinkies uh, five times a day. Or maybe, you know, or, you know the bag of potato chips is never on all, more than an arm's distance away and you're constantly crunching and munching, you know. But I need to change. Or, or maybe you've picked up a colloquial expression from somebody and it's just something you'd rather not say. You ever had that happen to you? Maybe a strong personality in the office or somebody you work with and they're constantly saying this one phrase and it's like you found yourself, you know, in your personal relationship saying, blah, blah. Said, I don't want to say that. Where'd that come from? And you remember so-and-so says, so, so, so repentance enables you to make a change. How many hear me? Or, or maybe anger, maybe you find yourself you're a little more volatile than you need to be, a little more stirred up than you ought to be when something doesn't go your way and anger's becoming an issue again. Maybe you defeated it one time in your life, but it rises back up. I know for me, I have to deal with this anger thing. When I was a little boy, I was totally angry when I didn't get my way. How many know that's self-centered living? And I just confessed to you this past Friday, I was working on my weed eater. It took me one stinking hour. See, see, it gets me stirred up talking, to, and it wouldn't work. I couldn't get the, I put, got a new, a new, uh, you know, thing to go on the end of it, and it didn't, it wouldn't work right. What, what the engineer said should work didn't work, I didn't, didn't hold my mouth right, and I got so mad. And you know what it showed me, God, I'm always needing you, because I could always go back to be what I used to be, and by the grace of God, we ain't going back there. How many hear what I'm saying? So repentance brings new life. Now listen to this. I've been in ministry since 1981. And over all these 38 years, um, I probably witnessed uh, in all the churches I've been at, this one and others, probably thousands of people raise their hand to make a commitment and, and a dedication to receive Jesus as Savior. And sadly, many of those people had an experience of remorse. Listen to what I'm saying. A remorse about what they had been doing. How many hear what I'm saying? And about their personal sin, but they lacked a repentant heart. And because they lacked a repentant heart, they went right back into what they were doing. And there never was a life change, so they never were truly saved, born again, use the term you wanted to want to use. Multi, multiply that by millions of people who have prayed a prayer of salvation, but never followed through with a yielded life to God. Again, they experience remorse, but not true repentance. Remorse is a I looked this up in the dictionary. Remorse is deep and painful regret for what you've done. But how many know remorse alone doesn't bring change? You know, the little boy, he feels bad because mama caught him getting the fifth chocolate chip cookie out the cookie jar. But as soon as she goes out in the room and she got on him, said, you can't eat that many cookies at one time. As soon as she's out in the room, his hand's back in the jar. You know, he felt remorse because mommy caught him, but he's going back there again, Right. So 2 Corinthians 7.10, for the kind of sorrow or conviction God wants us to experience leads us away from sin 
and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. And that's talking about repentance. But worldly sorrow, guilt or remorse, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Repentance opens up a door. And how many know life can be different? With repentance, you can change a bad habit if you already know the Lord. With repentance, if you don't know the Lord and you've been and you've just been challenged by the way you're living life, you can literally, you can open up a door that allows the power of God and the love of God to come in your life and cleanse you and make you a new person. And the door is called repentance. Isn't that cool? So with repentance, it enables you to live a new way in your marriage, your relationships and your responses to others and the way you're talking and in the conversations that you have and the words that you use in physical habits you know, repentance is an amazing thing. So today, real quickly, I want to talk about five things that we need to know about repentance. Y'all ready for this? Now, now I've got another section of this I'll go in next Sunday. You don't want to miss that. It's really awesome. And it's really transformed my life next Sunday. But this Sunday, five things to know about repentance. Number one, repentance open up, opens up uh, to tremendous Life change. Just mention that the first call, think about that. The first call of the kingdom of God into every life is the call to repentance. And again, as I just mentioned with repentance, you're done with living the way you live. So let me say this. If you still like what you're doing, even though you know it's wrong and you feel remorse and regret because you've done this or acted that way, you're falling through with this in a particular lifestyle, but you know full well that once the remorse lifts, once the feeling lifts, you're going to go back there and do it again. How many know that is not repentance? No, no, repentance really means I'm done with living the way I have been living. I want a different life. So here's the definition. Here's Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. One of the many of that I have, his definition for repentance is a turning away from sin, a turning away from disobedience, or turning away from rebellion and a turning back to God. So it's, it's leaving something and putting something else in its place. True repentance, he says again, in a more general sense, repentance means a change of mind. This has always shot me, the King James Version of the Bible, when, you know, Genesis 6 is talking about the flood of Noah. And before it talks about God sending a, a, a flood to the earth, it mentions that, it mentions that, um, uh, that God saw the wickedness over the earth and that the concepts of man's heart were evil continually. And he repented that he had made man. That, that verse shot me. It's like, God, wow. So it, it, it means, it means he, he was moved because of what he had done. And because of what man had chosen to do. Not what he had done, but what man had chosen to do with his love, his goodness, and his grace. Repentance means a change of mind or a feeling of remorse or regret for past conduct. True repentance is godly sorrow for sin, an act of turning around and going in the opposite direction. This type of repentance, my notes say, leads to a fundamental change in a person's relationship with God. It's the first step in making changes that distance me from where I've been and place me in a new, brand new vein of living. And that's pretty cool. If you don't have my notes, I encourage you again. I keep forgetting this. U version has my notes today. So if you go to U version, open it up on your phone or, or uh, iPad or whatever, and then uh, the bottom right, click more, click on the maps, 
when it, where it says events, and then you can find my notes. I've got a lot of scripture I probably won't get to today. We'll see what happens, but uh, you can follow right along as well. Repentance, again, is the door to change, and it's, it's, uh, it's amazing when you look through the New Testament, um, the Gospels, the book of Acts, um, um, every era of time uh, had repentance in mind, John the Baptist, you know, was the forerunner, Jesus' first cousin, and he was the forerunner preparing a, a path for Jesus to walk. And, and you just think about what John the Baptist's job was. We don't think about it very much, but if you sit back uh, and, and look at the biblical narrative, uh, Israel had come through a, a real silent time where the prophets weren't saying a whole lot. There had been some huge challenges. And over the years of time, the traditions of men took the place of the Word of God, the Old Testament that they knew, the Torah, the law. And, and so religious tradition was ruling in Israel. And, and God had made promises that a Messiah is coming, but it had been hundreds of years before they'd heard God say anything. So where is God? And John the Baptist comes on the scene and he starts out with a message of repentance. You think, why? Why would God start with Jesus' first cousin and he's talking about some negative something? It's not negative. No, he's talking about something that will open the door of the Jewish people to something fresh and something new that they have never experienced before. So in Matthew 3, Amplified Bible in those days, there appeared John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness, the desert of Judea, and saying, repent. And I like the Amplified. Think differently. Change your mind. Regretting your sins and changing your conduct for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist was plowing the ground, getting ready for Jesus, his first cousin, to come on the scene and, and preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted and to heal people and to minister salvation and, and get people get people prepared for a new thrust of the kingdom of God on the earth. And John the Baptist came with this message of repentance. Why? Because repentance changes what you're thinking and opens the door for new life to invade. Does that make sense? You ever thought about it that way? Luke chapter 3, um, then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, why in the world would he start out talking to somebody that, like, that way? Because he was talking to the religious people of his day who had become, you know, just kind of, just kind of settled in traditions that weren't even scriptural, weren't even right, and they were and they were binding people and hindering people from really receiving even under the old covenant what God had for them. So he said, you brood of vipers, you're a bunch of snakes. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Then he said, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God's able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones over here. And then he said, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So he says, you, you've got to repent. And then if you repent, lifestyle's going to change. How many hear me? A lot of people today, they want to pray a prayer and then just come on, keep on living the way I've been living, doing the things I've been doing with the people I've been hanging with. Jesus comes in and transforms. 
And even in John the Baptist's ministry, he knew repentance would transform a person. And he was trying to get a person, he was trying to get the Israelites to change and mend their ways and open themselves up in a fresh way to the kingdom of God. Repentance opens up a door for lifestyle changes. And so the next thing he said was, so people ask him, saying, what then shall we do? He answered and said to them, if you have two tunics, got two shirts, then give, give him to him who has none. And he who has food, if you've got food, give some food to somebody who doesn't have any. And he said, then tax collectors came to be baptized because he was baptizing with the baptism of repentance. And once they went down into the water, they're saying, I'm mending my ways. I'm not going back to living in the, in the, the religious tradition I used to live in. I'm changing and really doing what God said in the Torah, the books of the law that we under the old covenant understand. Well, I'm going back and do that. And the tax collectors were baptized. And these were some of the, the worst liars in culture. They stole from people they became wealthy because of the uh, extra taxes they charged everybody and nobody liked them they came to him teacher what shall we do he said to them collect no more than what's appointed to you wow likewise the soldiers asked him saying that's obviously roman soldiers what shall we do he said don't intimidate anyone or accuse falsely be content with your wages don't let your position go to your head be fair to everybody now, why did I mention that? Because even under John the Baptist's ministry, he, he correctly shares with us what repentance does. It opens the door that brings life change. If I, so the bottom line is, if I've really repented, life's change follows. Do you see that from that? Then Jesus, Jesus, when he came on the scene, and when he, was, when he started his ministry at age 30, he emphasized Repentance, Luke 5, 32, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so repentance has kind of like two sides to a coin. You got heads and tails. Well, the one side of the repentance coin is you're turning away from. But the second side of the repentance coin is you're changing what you do and how you do life. And Jesus illustrates that, Matthew chapter 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, you know, you don't hardly hear anybody in the church today say, Repent. <laughs> Jesus started his ministry. Repent. Why do you say it? Because it'll change your heart, change your lifestyle. And so notice what happened after he did that. Immediately after he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Matthew 4, 18, Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee called two brothers. Watch this. Simon called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You say, well, why is that so significant? Jesus had been preaching, repent. Then he goes to these two guys that have been fishing probably most all of their adult life and probably when they were kids, perhaps their dads and their dads taught them to fish. He said, I want you to, I want you to come and leave what you're doing and follow me. That is completely change how you live your life and what you value. You value catching fish and making money. I'm going to make you fish for men. It's a change he was talking about. How many get it? And so they immediately left their nets, followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, 
John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, he called them. And immediately, again, same thing happened. They left their boat and their father and followed him. These guys had been doing this for a long time. But when Jesus said, repent, they understood, hey, he wants me to change everything I've been thinking about, everything I value, everything I've been doing. And he wants me to put my focus completely on him and the kingdom of God. He wants me to change. So he's saying, repent. How many get it? And then, and then after Jesus' ministry, um, Jesus ascended to heaven. The day of Pentecost came. The church age began. The book of Acts is full of the disciples preaching and ministering. The first sermon after the day of Pentecost, Peter preached. And notice what Peter, pre- what Peter said. Peter ministered a good solid word. There were Jewish believers there from all over the world. And they said... Well, what should we do after we've heard what you've said? And Peter answered them, Amplified New Testament, Repent! Change your views and purpose to accept the will of God in your inner selves instead of rejecting it. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness and release from your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How many know that water baptism doesn't save you? Some people read that verse and say, well, I need to get baptized in water so my sins will be cleansed. That water doesn't cleanse your sin. Jesus does. The blood of Jesus does. That water is just an outward symbol of the cleansing that's already happened inside. Yes or no? And then later on, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Here it is again. The Acts of the Apostles. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If you're in the doldrums, let me say this, and life is just kind of just murking along, just kind of having a rough time. You've lost your joy, lost your peace, you know. Nothing's going on spiritually. It may be time to do an assessment of what's been going on in life, what you've been valuing, what you've been seeking, what you've been following, who you've been befriending, what you've been doing with your time. And it might be time for some good old repentance. Repent times. How many hear me? Or repentance. How many hear me? Because when you repent, refreshing comes from the presence of God. Those people that were baptized by John getting ready for Jesus to come, they got refreshed, not because the water was cold, but because they said, you know what? The Bible really is valid. The the Torah, the law, it's for today, but God's got something even greater than the law that is coming. And that's what John, and I'm ready for it. And it brought refreshing. Jesus said, repent. And when people followed him, it changed their lives. And here's the disciples. They said, repent. And it changed the people and it brought refreshing from heaven you'll find when you and i repent even as believers it's one thing to repent and come to know the lord but when you repent as a believer it can bring great refreshing back into your life how many hear me wow let me just talk for a few minutes real personally here what i was just you've heard my story so many times over the years but you know three weeks before my 18th birthday i really really had an experience with god and and let me just say this about repentance sometimes god had this has to set a person up for them to even want to repent. How many hear me? Let me just get, can I get real 21st century here? We got a lot of gadgets, a lot of things we do, a lot of fun things. Uh, Raleigh's a fun place to live. There's something going on on the weekends just about all the time downtown Raleigh. There are movie theaters. You got all kinds of things to take your mind off of your challenges and your problems and, and just have a good time. Is that true? And I really like all of the amenities that we have just around here, don't you? Huh? I think it's really cool. So, so sometimes, 
Sometimes we've got all this stuff to take our minds off of our issues and our problems that, that we hardly give God time to do what He wants to do. And so when I was a you know 17-year-old boy, I, let me just tell you, sometimes God has to set you up. And you may be listening today, and you know what? You're involved in drug addiction. You know you drink, but you drink too much. You're on the verge of becoming an alcoholic or or, or maybe you're involved in immorality in whatever kind of way. Maybe it's adultery. Maybe it's just, uh, you know, you're just, you're, you're just having one night stands here and there. And I'm talking to somebody right now that's watching me, watching me on, our, on, our, uh, on our, um, our feed here. But you know what? God still loves you right where you're at. And, you know, He's got a plan for your life to change you, to validate you, to help you, to cleanse you. And, and to make life different for you. But you got to make a decision that I'm tired of doing what I'm doing. Or you may be a, a private porn addict. I don't know. I don't know what the issue may be. But you know what I do know? you got to reach a point that you're tired of doing what you're doing. And when you, when you reach that point, even to reach that point, how many know it takes the work of God in your life for that to happen? You know, let me just tell you, as a 17-year-old boy, before I came to the Lord, I, I've shared this just a few times, but... You know, I would never have ever, I didn't tell anybody for years even after I came to the Lord. It was so such a private thing. But, you know, as a teenager, I had my long hair and all that. And I had my drugs and I did all my stuff. And I had this uh, new stereo that I put in my bedroom. It was a quadraphonic stereo. That dates me for sure. That didn't last very long. It had a different sound out of all four speakers. I'd turn that thing up. And then I had some really nice headphones that, that reproduced sound really well. And at night, I would plug them into my stereo, which was right beside my bed. I'm 17. I'm, and I'm listening. I'd be listening to music and just, you know, bopping, just enjoying the music before I went to sleep and sometimes to go to sleep. Well, guess what happened? Something happened to me. I started getting tired of what I was doing. Uh, there was an emptiness. I'd been doing the same thing over and over and over, but there was an emptiness in life that came. And I couldn't shake the empty feeling that I had. Like nothing would satisfy me. The drugs didn't satisfy. The other things I did along with that didn't satisfy. Something's wrong. Something's missing. Something is amiss. And you know what? At the middle of the night, and I don't know how many times, two o'clock in the morning, I'd wake up and I got, got this, I got this angst inside I can't get rid of. I didn't know the Lord. And for some weird reason, I plugged my headphones in and we had an FM Christian station my mother used to listen to all the time in the house. I tuned the radio on my stereo to FM, to that Christian station, and I'd listen to for 15 to 20 minutes at night. And I was thinking, this is idiocy. They're playing an organ for crying out loud. I hate this music. I'm thinking there's no beat, this stuff. But when I, I can't ever get away from remembering what I thought, I thought, when I hear this, there's, there's this peace I can't find. I, I can't find it with any of my musicians I listen to. I can't find it with any of my rock stations. I can't find it doing drugs. I can't find it in all the things I'm doing. But I find it in this crazy music. And I listen to it 15, 20 minutes, several times a week. Unplug the headphones, you know, cut their stereo, and then turn it back to my rock station so nobody would know. No, I really did that. God set me up for change. You know, once I got tired of doing drugs because I almost died with an almost overdose with a with drug-laced pot, hallucinogenically laced pot, almost died in a car accident, could have easily, easily 
died. And then beyond that, my, see, God has set you up my, my girlfriend at the time who I was ready to marry. And I'm only 17. Well, I heard her daddy comes to my, where I work one Monday morning, said, where's my daughter? I said, well, I reckon she's at home in here, her bed at your house. She said, he said, she's not there. Her window's open. She jumped out the second story window. Uh, she, he said, I thought you might know, know something about it. I said, I know nothing about it. Wednesday night, I got a date with her. Come to find out, she jumped out of the window and eloped with another guy. Well, guess what that did to my heart? Take the dagger <laughs> right there in the middle. That was a setup, y'all. I spent days and weeks just laying on my bed after work, just looking at the ceiling, hopelessly. Nothing to do. I'm just tired of living. That was a setup. Jesus came in. And Jesus brought change. How many hear me? I was ready for repentance. So repentance opens the door to a tremendous life change. Secondly, there is no change without repentance. Once I came to Jesus... Almost 18, I never went back to my old life because there's nothing there I want that can in any way give me what I find in this deep relationship with the Son of God who can change you, who can love you, who can give you peace, who can give you joy, who can minister life to you, who can aid you in every area of life. I didn't want it again. Many today just simply accept Jesus at an altar call at a church and then just keep living life as they've been living. How many know, again, that's not repentance? D.L. Moody, back in the late 1800s, is actually the author of the popularized and current altar call situation we have. Particularly in churches in America, we give altar calls, and that's what he called it then, give, give, giving people an opportunity to pray and ask Jesus to come in their life and be transformed. Sometimes that works, but many times... Again, it's just surface level and it doesn't stick. But before D.L. Moody's era, if you go back and read the writings of, of some of the uh, church fathers of several hundred years ago, they would preach and they would preach about sin and they'd preach about the awareness of the human heart from God and our need, our sinfulness and, and how bad we are and the road that we're on is the way to hell, etc., etc., etc. And they would preach that way and then... Uh, pray and everybody go home. And they would do that. They would go to a location, usually open air. They had no electronics like we do today. So they preached in an open air and find out which way the wind's blowing. And, you know, preach that way because the wind will carry your words. So uh, they did that and they would go to a location and preach day after day after day after day until someone would say to the, to the minister, when are you going to call a meeting? And they would call it an earnest meeting because people were in earnest about their state before God and they wanted to do something about it and say, when are you going to call it? Sounds weird. They would call it an earnest meeting. And he said, well, you think it's time? And they say, these people are about to go crazy. They're ready to get rid of their burden of their guilt and would call a meeting. And they would invite people to come and repent of their sin. And they would come down weeping tears of remorse, regret, and repentance added to it. I'm sorry, God, for the way I've been living. I'm sorry for what I've done. I have sinned against your holiness, your purity. It's me that needs you. It's not you that needs me. I need you, God. I need you. And they'd pray through to repentance. And most of the time, most of the, I mean, statistics say 
that over 80% of the people who prayed that way stuck with Christianity but remained as a believer lifelong because, because the foundation was repentance which brought a change of life. How many hear what I'm saying? Repentance is not a negative thing. How many know it's a positive thing? It opens up again the opportunity for personal transformation. The church in uh, Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus had something to say to seven churches. I'll read some more of them in a minute. But this particular one, he told them that they made him want to vomit. I mean, he just felt like throwing up when he thought about them because of what they were doing. And he mentioned several of the things that they were doing. And then he said this in verse 19, Revelation 3, As many as I love, I rebuke and chase, and therefore be zealous and repent. And then he gave him the answer, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in to dine with him and he with me. He said, Therefore be zealous and repent. Why? Because repentance opens up a door for a new life and it brings change. How many hear me? And let me also mention without change, there is no repentance. How many hear that? I, was, I hadn't thought about this in decades, but when I was a little boy, I have a double first cousin. I won't even take time to explain that right now. Go figure it out. We have exactly the same DNA in our bodies, and we act in an uncanny way alike. Uh, our personalities are similar. There's a lot of things. Anyway, and uh, I would go see my grandmother, and we would always get together and hang out and do things. And, and uh, so I'm talking about repentance, how the fact that is that it changes life. So... So here's one time it snowed, and there was a big snowstorm, the snow all over the ground at my grandmother's house, and here my cousin and I are playing in the snow. And then we noticed cars are coming by, so we made some nice little mushy snowballs, and we started chucking snowballs at the start, cars coming by. And you know, it was a side street where they had to come up for a stop, so we made, took aim and a pow, pow, we just plundered those cars, man. And I don't know if it was my aunt or my, my grandmother, somebody said, are y'all throwing, uh, you know, snowballs at those cars? And we, oh, I thought, oh, Lord, we're being caught. See, we have remorse. We're being caught. She, yes, ma'am. Y'all need to quit doing that. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Soon as she went back in the house and the air was clear, guess what? We started making snowballs again. And then so we started chunking them at cars again. The problem was here comes a car with a window down. The, the passenger side, no kidding, passenger side windows down. I took the snowball. Man went right through the passenger's window and hit the driver of the car. They come back up in the they come back up in the driveway. Say, what you boys doing? Where's your mama? Where's your daddy? I got the whooping of a lifetime. Guess what happened? I repented and I never threw snowballs again. How many get it? I got a sequel to that story. So here we are again. You know, it's a nice spring day. You know, it's in the summer and we've got pecans falling from the tree. Maybe it's late summer, you know. You got pecans and some of them are, are still green, you know. And, and it's right near a fence. And then we got Mr. Bass who lives right beside Grandma and Grandpa. And he's, got, he's keeping some horses. These were huge horses. He's keeping some horses for some people. So we're getting the pecans and we're chucking them at the horses. I mean, come on, we're just boys, all right? And then I don't know, either my, I don't know if it was my grandmother or one of my aunts. Mitch, Alan, y'all, y'all throwing, y'all throwing pecans at the horses, boy? Yes, ma'am. You better quit that. You're going to get in trouble. She went back in the house. We kept, pick up pecans. Why? We felt remorse, but we didn't repent. Until we kept chunking them at the horses and they got kind of moved and upset and they got to moving around a little bit. And then Mr. Bass came and talked to my grandfather. 
Guess what happened? We quit throwing pecans at the horses. We repented because we got in big trouble and it hurt. The trouble hurt. You get it? So repentance is life change. Number three, repentance begins with God showing us what we really are so we can change. How many hear that? Again, listen to this. If it, it, I didn't understand that God was working in my life even as a young man. Repentance happens before you come to Jesus. John 6, 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father himself draw him. So if you, if you don't know the Lord and there's something that's just not right, you don't feel right about where you've been, what you've been doing, what you've been involved in, etc., 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 it could be a sign that somebody's praying for you and that God is doing a work in your life to bring you to salvation. That's the way it was with me. I found out later when I was turning that radio knob in the middle of the night, my mother had been praying for me to come to the Lord. I didn't know she was praying for me to come to the Lord. I was just, I didn't know why I was acting that way, but I couldn't be settled or satisfied with anything I had been doing. And that's, that's the key to repentance. Something happens on the inside that is a catalyst started by the Spirit of God. Somebody's probably praying for you. How many hear me? And then after salvation, you'll find God keeps drawing you. He doesn't quit drawing just because you come to Jesus. How many know after salvation, He keeps drawing us away from the distractions and the habits and the choices we've made to do this with our body, to do that with our mind, to do this with our emotions and let them be aflame with Him. And He starts challenging us. Why are you acting that way? Why are you still doing that? You're my child. You did that before you know the Lord. Don't you know that's going to break your fellowship with me? Don't you know that's going to tear your conscience apart? And He starts dealing with you to what? Repent. How many hear me? Repentance address it uh, starts by addressing personal bondage to sin and it ends up giving us freedom how many hear me it starts it starts it, it starts by addressing sin and then imparts life and positiveness how many hear what i'm saying you know for me you know when i was a young boy repentance started by realizing that i could die using drugs and then you know when i had a car accident and i saw the brevity of life that i could die as a young man without ever having lived out my life and then and then the girl that came and crushed my heart god used all of those outward things as my mother prayed to to draw me into a state called repentance so if you need change the first step is repentance because Repentance brings change. Michael Brown says this, repentance is God's activating grace. John Milton says repentance is the golden key that opens the palace of eternity. Isn't that good? So uh, again, Romans 2, 4, I mentioned this when I first opened. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You say, well, why doesn't Jesus come back sooner? He's given people opportunity to repent. How many hear me? And it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. And it takes repentance to enter into the kingdom of God. I had a young man that was a friend of mine all of my life. In fact, I, I met this young man. He had a twin brother. They were red hair, freckle face. I mean, just good looking little boys, you know, my friends. I went through all of school with them. We went to church together. But my friend, Glenn, 
You know, it's really a sad story. I came to the Lord and he would come to the place I worked and he would frequent the place of business. And uh, I was working in a grocery store while I went to college and we'd get involved in conversation. And I, we, always the conversation would end with me saying, and soon some other, in one way or another, Glenn, you know, Glenn, you just need God, man. You need to come to Jesus. Because he had smoked pot with me and did all the mess with me. We, we were church buddies and we were, you know, uh, together we were hypocrites, <laughs> you know. But he was my friend and I love Glenn. And he kept, he'd come in every week or so and, and uh, we'd just talk a little bit, you know, while I was working, he'd talk to me. And, and I finally say, Glenn, you need, you, need to, you, need to, you, need, you need to come to Jesus. You need, you need to come to him. Don't, you, you need to repent. You need to change your life. He said, Mitch, and I can't, I, his words are etched in my mind for the rest of my life. He said over and over again, Mitch, listen, listen, I, I'm not going to hell. I'm just not ready yet. I'm just not ready to turn my life over. I still want to have some, I want to do some things. I still want to have a good time. He, he said that. That was, that was, that's how he ended the conversation about every time I talked to him. Well, one day, and this is before uh, all the credit cards we have now and such, and people paid cash, and I guess they had gas cards perhaps. She didn't have debit cards and such. This is 1980. And he worked at a gas station, and to pay for the gas, you went up to this plexiglass thing. He was behind this plexiglass window, and they would put their cash in there or their credit card or whatever and uh, for him to pay. And a guy robbed the station, pointed the gun down where you put your cash and pointed and the bullet ricocheted, hit him in the temple and killed him instantly. And he had just had a conversation with me. Y'all, I'll be honest with you, it's hounded me all my life. I just wonder if Glenn ever had an opportunity to repent. Or has he been in hell all these years and he was a friend of mine that walked with me? You know how much, I, I probably think about Glenn every week. Probably think about, I probably, you know, probably once a week, I think about who he was and what we did together and how, how quickly his life ended. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, or you're here today and, and there's areas of life that need to be shored up, don't wait because you may not have an opportunity. That's why the scripture says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. You always have today. You never promise tomorrow. How many hear me? That was a, a classic example for me when I was a really young man. I'd only, I hadn't even been married a year yet. I'd been married about eight months when he died. And Susan and I went to his funeral. It was very sad. Number four, repentance is for believers as well as non-Christians. How many hear what I'm saying? Repentance is a daily decision to yield my life to Jesus moment by moment and to quickly acknowledge to him any sin. Now, I need to cover this, and I mentioned this last week, just a little bit more. There is, and Michael Brown terms this, I can't use a better term, the hyper grace message. That is the excessive grace message. How many know we're saved by grace through faith? Some people take the message of grace, and this has been going on again, as I mentioned last Sunday, about a dozen years and people are taking the message of grace saying that the grace of God has come into our lives and so that we never need to be negative again. When Jesus, and here's the hyper grace message is, when Jesus died on the cross, all of your sins, past, 
present, and future have been dealt with on the cross. Therefore, you never need to deal with sin in your life again. And God never even looks at sin in your life. Once you become a believer, when you come to Jesus, it wipes out all of the issues of sin, past, present, and future. And and if you even talk about sin, you're being negative, not positive, and you're hindering your walk with God. Now that that's what it that's I, I mean I, I could I could go to the pages and show you that's what is taught. However, however, that's not necessarily in line with the New Testament. What about what about the man who was sleeping with his mother-in-law? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul said, Don't don't even eat with such a person so they'll be ashamed of themselves. Yes or no? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, during communion, he said, if we would judge ourselves, we'll not be judged. When we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord so we won't be condemned with the world. So does God see sin in the life of a believer if you commit one? Yes, he does. What are we supposed to do? 1 John 1, 9, if, we're, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us from unrighteousness. How many know once you sin as a believer, potentially that sin's forgiven? Jesus did die on the cross to cleanse you from all of your sins, but to escape sin, you've got to own it first. Yes or no? And then I noticed, uh, and I don't have time, but it's in my notes, uh, uh, five out of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, Jesus had some really challenging things to say to the church in Ephesus. He said, remember where you fall and repent and do the first works. To the church in Pergamos in Revelation chapter 2, he said, repent or else I'll come to you quickly and do some things. In Revelation chapter 3, to the church in Sardis, he said, remember therefore how you what you've received and heard, hold fast and repent. He was talking about to them about some challenges Challenging things they were involved in. We just <clears throat> we just read about uh, the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter three. He told them to repent. Why did they have to repent? Because they they had allowed sin to trickle into their life. How many hear me? So repentance is not just for a non-Christian. Repentance is also for a believer. Proverbs three twelve says this: For the Lord corrects those He loves, just as a father corrects a child. With whom he delights. Then point number five, my last point. Repentance produces death to sin, death to self-centeredness, death to selfishness, and willful disobedience. How many know repentance puts me in a place to receive all that I can receive from Jesus? Yes or no? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German believer, uh, was actually killed by the Nazis in 1945. He, was, he led a resistance movement of pastors against Hitler and that whole thing there. He said uh, in his book, Cost of Discipleship, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The problem sometimes today is we're still too much alive with the things we've been involved in our, in our past life. Yes or no? Repentance helps you overcome habits of the flesh, carnal and carnal relational tendencies. It causes the seed of the word that you hear to begin to germinate and change. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 12, verse 24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies... It remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Except a kernel of wheat is planted and dies. 
And he's referring there not only to the new body we get uh, at the coming of Jesus, but he's also talking about us laying our lives down for Jesus and dying to what we want to do, what we like, to past habits and behaviors that we've had, yes or no? The Apostle Paul said this in Galatians 2.20, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 6.14, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of Jesus. Because of that cross, my interests in this world have been has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I affirm by boasting in you, by the boasting I have in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. 2 Corinthians 1, 9. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And then lastly, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may obtain the resurrection of the dead. The way to be free from the power of old habits and personal weakness, first of all, is to repent of anything that displeases God. Then ask him for his help in overcoming any temptation that you're dealing with. Yes or no? You may be dealing with anger, defensiveness, touchiness, uh, being easily offended. You may wrestle with a habit of gossip, negative talking, lusts. You may be a workaholic and all you do is give yourself to what you do and you don't spend enough time with your family. That could be a problem. You may be a porn addict or whatever. Whatever you're wrestling with as a believer. How many know there's freedom in Jesus, there's freedom in God as the word takes root? But what's important is as we're receiving the word that we apply, press our will towards God and we say, God, I don't want this anymore. I want what you want more than I want what I want. When we do that, we open ourselves up for a time of refreshing from the presence of God. Yes or no?